Back when I was in college, uh, one of the things that I would do pretty often is on the weekends, uh, kind of drive somewhere near, nearby the town I was living in and, and, and preach in, in small country churches that just, they couldn't afford a full-time pastor, so they had, you know, Bible college students come and, and preach on Sunday. And so this one particular winter morning, I drove probably about eh, 40 minutes away to a really small town just off the highway and, you know, preached at the service, and then was on my way uh, back to my dorm room. And on the way there, everything went fine, but on the way back, everything did not go fine. Uh, so there was this, probably about eh, halfway point or so, there's just this, this little bridge that kind of crosses over this uh, little ravine with a creek in it on the way to, back to Joplin. And you know, it had gotten cold that night, it had, it had a little wintry mix and precipitation that morning, and so as we got to the bridge, the car in front of me hit a little patch of ice and just began to spin. And I'm thinking, you know, this, this whole event probably took like eight seconds. But in my mind, this is like a 30-minute saga of in slow motion, things are happening. And so this car, I see it hit ice. It starts to, you know, fishtail and start to spin. And I'm thinking, oh, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit this car. Like, oh, you know, I'm just, all the, my life is flashing before my eyes. I'm going back to all my Mission Impossible movie-watching training and thinking defensive driving, what do I need to do here? And so I'm just, you know, locked onto this car trying to figure out what to do. So it starts to spin, and it spins into the opposite lane, slams into the guardrail, and at that point I'm thinking, some other car is going to come through this lane and hit this thing. And there's no, no car ever comes. So the car hits the guardrail, spins back right in front of me, and I'm like, this is it. This is it. This is how I go. I just thought, I'm never going to know what it's like to graduate college or get married or see the Chiefs win a Super Bowl. Like, this, this is the end. This is it right here. And so literally the car, as it spins back, like, I am looking straight at the other driver because he has, his car is now spun around backwards. And so I'm looking at him. He's looking at me. And I'm like, this is, this is not going to end well. And then he hits the other, the other guardrail, spins back around again. So now he's facing the right way, and he just keeps driving like nothing just happened. And I, meanwhile, like, my, my blood pressure has to be through the roof. My face is red. I'm sweating. My knuckles are white as I'm just gripping the steering wheel. I'm like, okay, it's going to be fine. Like, okay. And so I just drive, drive back to Joplin, probably went to Little Caesars or something to get lunch. Like, I just need to get, get some lunch. And I just went, sat in my dorm room and just sort of tried to, like, calm down for the next two hours. Like, oh, man. But that was one of the first kind of vivid moments for me of, like, life flashing before my eyes. This is it. This is how it ends. Oh, goodness. And, you know, I don't know, maybe you've had some of those moments where your life just kind of flashed before your eyes, like, oh, no, this could be it. Uh, and maybe uh, if you're older, you've probably had uh, some situations in your life, maybe some, uh, some health scares, or you've been to the doctor and become more aware of, of your mortality. And if you're younger, you're like, I'm not really thinking about that. I'm doing pretty good. I haven't really thought about that. Or you might be, because surveys say that about 20% of the population is scared of death, so you might be in that 20% where you're like, I'm really scared of dying. I don't want to talk about it. So I don't know where you fall in that spectrum, but part of what Paul talks about in our passage in 2 Corinthians this morning is the reality of death and the tension he feels between living on earth and knowing that death is, is coming. And so whether you sit where I'm not really thinking about it, or you're really afraid of it, or whatever, whatever your posture is, right? We all kind of look at death a little differently, and that determines kind of how we live our life. 
If you think, hey, after this, you know, that's it. I'm just going to make, make the best use of my life right now. I'm going to have the most fun. I'm going to enjoy it, whatever it is. But I think all of us, on some, in some sense, on some level, we really want to make sure that our life is worth it. That you, you, know, you get to the end and you're like, hey, don't have a whole lot of regrets, don't have a whole lot of stuff I wish I would have done. You, know, you want to leave behind things that are going to be valuable to your family or know that, hey, I did things that really matter, that are really going to count. And Paul actually talks about that in this passage. So as we've been in this series in 2 Corinthians called What's Going On Inside of Me, we've been talking about these different life experiences that we have that we don't normally think go together. And Paul's going to talk about this tension between life and death in our passage today. And in the first few chapters of 2 Corinthians, he's used a number of metaphors to kind of try to capture these emotions and these feelings and what's going on. And that's no different in our passage this morning. He's going to use one more metaphor for us. So I just kind of want to unpack this metaphor because there's quite a bit going on to it and then just see, hey, how do we, what does that mean for us? How do we live into that? What do we do? So if you want to open your Bible or head in your device to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 1 this morning. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul writes, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident, and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord, so we make it our goal to please him whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So Paul kind of continues what he's been talking about, about the Holy Spirit transforming us and the difficult circumstances in his life. And then he goes on to this whole metaphor about there's a tent and there's a building. And, you know, the short of it is, he means... The tent is like our earthly body, our physical bodies. Like, so we've got this tent. But then what we really want and what we know we're going to get someday is an eternal building. And that building is our resurrected body. It's our eternal body. And it's going to last forever. So Paul sort of uses this metaphor to tell us that living on earth is an awful lot like going camping. Now maybe you're way more adventurous and outdoorsy than me and you love camping. And you would love nothing more than just to spend your whole life outdoors camping. That is not me. I even found there's a guy, sometimes on YouTube, I watch extreme camping videos because that's cool to see them do it because I would never do it. But there's a guy in Michigan who lives year-round in his tent. And I'm thinking, why would you choose to do that? It's Michigan. It's cold. What on earth? But he says, I love it. It's great. Okay, cool. But Paul's point is not, hey, let's just go on this really adventurous camping trip. He's talking about, I mean... You know, when you go camping, like, you plan to go for a, a short period of time, maybe just one night or a few days, 
and you're going to pack it full of fun activities. You're going to go hunting or fishing, you're going to hike, you're going to make a big fire, you're going to cook s'mores, you're going to tell ghost stories or something. Like, it's going to be fun, and we're just going to take what we need while we're there. And probably you go when you know the weather's going to be nice. Like, you don't choose to go camping in the middle of winter unless you just are really into that. You probably wait till here in the summer when it warms up some more, and then we'll go camping, and we'll pack the food we need just for the, the night or the couple nights we're going to go camping, and that's, that's what we're going to do. Because, you know, after a while, you're like, I miss the internet, I miss electricity, I miss, you know, running water and a nice warm shower, and so you'll want to come home. And, I mean, a tent is fine when you're camping, it's going to help keep you out of the rain and out of the wind. But the temperature inside of your tent is not going to be that different from outside of your tent. Like if it's really hot outside, your tent's going to be pretty warm too. If it's really cold outside, your tent might be just a little bit warmer. Unless you get like a really high dollar winter, you know, winterized tent or something. And Paul's just saying, hey look, our earthly bodies are just like camping. Sometimes it's, it's fine, sometimes it's enjoyable, but a lot of times it's not. It's difficult, it's uncomfortable, it's painful. And over time, what happens to a tent? Well, it, it begins to wear out and fall apart. And if you own a tent and you camp regularly, at some point, you're going to start misplacing those little stakes you used to keep it in the ground, the, you know, the different rods you used to keep the tent up, they're going to break, they're going to snap, you're going to need new ones. And it's, the tent is probably going to get ripped and torn and faded. And it's just over time going to going to break down. You're like, oh, got to buy a new one. But a house lasts a whole lot longer and is going to protect you way better from the weather and the elements. And Paul's just using that metaphor as this point of like, hey, living in a tent is fine, but it's not permanent. A tent is not meant to last. It's not meant to offer you everything that life can, can be. So what we want is we want that building. That's what we want. And even starts off this passage not saying that's what we want or that's what we hope for. He says, we know. We know that what we get at the end of life is this building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. In other words, it's perfect. It's a real physical body. We're not just going to be like floating around like Casper the ghost in heaven. He says, this is, this is what we know is coming. He trusts God. He's experienced Jesus, so he knows this gets to happen. And so he talks about this experience of, so while we're in this tent, we groan. We groan. And that's his way of saying there's this tension between the life we have and the life we want. Because the life you have, there's probably some good things, and there's also some really difficult things. And you'd like life to get a little better. And so you have a dream, you have a vision, you have somewhere you want to go, something you want to accomplish, but you're not there yet. So there's challenges along the way, there's things you have to do, and it's, it's difficult. And so Paul says, in this tension between the life we have, the life we hope for, the life we want, it's just difficult. Life is hard. So here's pretty much his, his truth that he knows. is Paul's telling us that in Christ we can be confident about death so that we can live a full life. Because death is not something that we have to be afraid of because what Jesus did on the cross is the only reason Paul can write these verses. If Jesus didn't die, if Jesus wasn't raised, if Jesus didn't defeat sin and death, then, then death really is the end. Like it is the final conclusion of everything. And if Jesus didn't really die on the cross, then life is kind of meaningless. Because you get however many years, and then it's over. It's done, it's gone with whatever you did, no one's going to remember you, like that's the really you know, cynical, depressing way to think about it. It's like, 
You're not going to get remembered. Everything you worked really hard for is gone. That's it. But Paul knows, well, because of Jesus, no, it's going to last. That we're going to have something even better on the other side of it. So I just want to look at that confidence that Paul gets and then how he talks about how we can kind of lead our lives while we wait. How can we live out of that confidence? So, of course, the short answer to our confidence, if you've grown up in church at all, you know this answer. It's the Sunday school answer. It's Jesus, right? We have our confidence because we know that we all sinned, we fell short of the glory of God, but Jesus came, God sent his only son into the world to die for our sins, and because he died on the cross in our place, took the punishment we should have gotten, and then defeated death and rose from the grave, we all know, well, we get the better end of the deal. We can be forgiven, we can have a relationship with God, and we get eternal life. But not just that, we get the presence of the Holy Spirit to help us, to help us here and now. So if you're, uh, if you're joining us this morning, whether here in the room or online, and you just kind of wandered into church this morning, and you're not, you're not really sure about Jesus, you're here checking things out, I don't want you to try to figure out today, okay, is Jesus real? Is heaven real? And so just, I want you to ask yourself this question. Do you want heaven to be real? Like, do you want what Jesus said to be true? Don't have to worry about right now, do you think it's true, but would you want it to be true? Because couldn't we all agree, it would be pretty awesome if at the end of life, no matter how easy life is or how difficult life is, you get to stand before your creator and he makes everything new and perfect. He fixes everything. He restores our bodies, anything we've had that's, any sickness we've had, any weaknesses we've had, any disabilities we have, he's going to fix that, he's going to take care of that. The people we've had a hard time forgiving, he's going to help us forgive them. The memories we wish we could forget, he's going to redeem. Like, wouldn't you just say, that, that would be pretty great if that were true. And then even just think of it this way. If your picture of heaven is boring or lame, you're like, I just don't really think I'd like that, you probably have the wrong picture of heaven. Because I know a lot of times in cartoons or movies or the way heaven kind of gets pictured, it's like we're all going to be dressed kind of like Cupid and we're just kind of floating on the clouds with a harp and little, you know, little wings and, oh, you know, okay. That's not really how the Bible describes heaven. The Bible describes heaven a lot like earth, just perfect. And that we're going to be, so I think heaven's probably going to look a lot like here, just perfect. Think Garden of Eden before Adam and Eve sinned. And so if, you're, if your picture of heaven is, eh, that doesn't sound all that great, you probably have the wrong picture. Because Jesus sure talks about heaven, and the Bible sure teaches that heaven is such a great and perfect place that you're not really going to regret things you didn't get to do here. Like, you're not going to get to heaven and go, ah, oh, man, we never made that trip to the Bahamas. You know, I think we really missed out. Like, I don't, I don't think that's going to be a problem when we get to heaven. So if you're just like, I'm not so sure, at least think, well, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be great if that were true? Wouldn't it be great if that were true? And so, of course, we have confidence because of Jesus, but Paul gives us another reason for confidence in verse 5. He says it's because of the deposit of the Holy Spirit. Because we've been given the Holy Spirit, we can know and trust that God's going to come through on his promises. So think about, back to if you're married, when uh, you know, the night that you got proposed to or you did the proposing. So you know, when you're just dating... There's still a little, there's a little bit of like some fragileness to your relationship because you're wondering, is this like, is this going to go anywhere? Like, you know, like how much longer are we just going to keep dating? Is he ever going to ask me the question? Like you start to wonder those things. But once, you know, once, once your boyfriend gets down on one knee and asks you that question and gets out of ring, you know, okay, now I know he's serious. And when you have that 
that engagement ring, that's a symbol that, okay, we're planning to get married. That's, that's where we're heading. And so between the engagement night and getting ready for the wedding, there's anticipation, there's excitement, you're kind of nervous, and there's also stress because you're planning a wedding. And there's moments like, well, we can't sit Cousin, cousin Eddie next to Uncle Joe because they're just going to go get into it, and we can't have that. And what are we going to serve? And the caterer called back, they're not available. And, oh, the dream location, they're booked all the way through the end of the year. What are we going to do? Like, you have those stressful moments, absolutely. But it's exciting, and there's anticipation, and you're waiting for it. And so God gives us the Holy Spirit to say, hey, this is to let you know I'm serious about this. This is going to happen. And Paul knows that he can trust God to the extent of saying, I know this is going to happen because of his own experience with Jesus and because, you know, faith is not blind. When Paul says we live by faith, not by sight, he doesn't mean that faith is blind. He means we live by faith because you can't see what hasn't happened yet. It's not that you can't see it because it doesn't exist. It's you can't see it because it hasn't happened yet. But it's true and it's real and it's there. And so Paul says, we have this confidence in Jesus and we can wait and we know because of everything God did. I mean, we have a whole book full of stories of things that God did to take care of his people and to fulfill his promises. And with that kind of track record, well, then we know, well, we can trust him then. Because look at what he's done. We can trust him. Absolutely. So Paul's combining this sense of confidence and anticipation together. And maybe it's sort of like the feeling of, no, I don't know if you've ever done this. I've never really done this. And I think people who do this are crazy. I still kind of do. And this is, uh, I don't know if you've ever been one of those people who've camped in line for something, like Black Friday or a book release or something, like anything. And you just thought, hey, in order to get that, we're going to go camp outside of the store. We're going to get there days early or hours early. We're going to set up our you know, chairs and our tents. We're going to get a cooler full of food and some friends. And we're going to wait in line so that we know we can get that thing when the doors open. And you wait. And you know, growing up, I remember this happened a lot more. And now, because of the internet, we don't really have to do that as much. But there used to be a time where if you wanted like a brand new book, Guess what? When I was a kid and all the Harry Potter books were coming out, if you wanted one of those, you had to go to your bookstore. You better get there four, five, seven days in advance, set up a tent, and camp. Because if you want a chance to get that book on release day, there's going to be hundreds of people, thousands of people in line, also waiting for that same book. And that's just what you had to do. And if you wanted concert tickets, you got to go to the box office, and you better wait. You want to go to the midnight release of a movie? You better camp out a couple days early if you want to see it. Now, of course, with the internet, you don't, you don't have to do that. So I realized, you know, a couple weeks ago that I, I thought, I'm not the crazy person that goes wait, waits in line for something to come out, but I do that on the internet, like, a lot. Because now, we just have digital lines that we wait in. So when a concert ticket comes out you really want to go to, you get online, and you stare at that screen, and there's that little countdown timer. Ticket sales go live in, and you're just like, okay, I'm, I'm here, it says it's going to go live in 30 seconds, so I'm ready. As soon as that counter hits zero, I'm, I'm going to hit refresh, I'm going to get in, I'm going to buy my ticket, I'm going to do whatever it takes. That's what you do. And I had to do this a couple weeks ago for a, for a concert, and almost a year ago when the PlayStation 5 came out, the only way you could get those was online. So I was one of those crazy people. I did not go stand outside of Walmart for seven, seven days and camp out, because I'm not a crazy person. So instead, I put programs on my computer to alert me whenever stock showed up on the internet so I could go try to get online and buy one. And of course, you know what happened. You jumped online to buy this thing, 
and you're right there, and you're just refresh, 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 and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and finally it comes up where like you can put your information in, and you hit buy, and it's like, sorry, we already sold out. And you're thinking, how? it's been 30 seconds. Like, how, how did they all go so fast? And it's, you know, sure, it's me staring at a computer screen, but there's actually a line of billions of people right now who are all on Target's website trying to get, you know, five of these things. And Paul's trying to combine the anticipation of when you wait in line, because why do you do that? You do that because you feel like there's a really good chance I can get it. If I'm here, if I'm in this line, if I wait, there's a really good chance I'm going to get to the front of the line and get the thing I want. And that's why you do it. And so Paul combines the anticipation of waiting with the confidence of knowing, if I, if I have this spot in line, I'll get what I want. I'll get the thing. And so, Paul's telling us, hey, we've got this promise from the Holy Spirit that we know we're in line, we're going to get what we've been promised. But until then, he says, you're going to have to wait. And so you might ask, well, okay, Paul, what do we do while we wait? What are we supposed to do? And that's what he tells us in the second half of this passage, because he goes on to say, well, in verse 9, we make it our goal to please God. Whatever happens, whether we're on earth, whether we're here, in, here at home or away from it, whatever happens, we make it our aim to please God. That's the goal. And here's the deal. All of us, I think, have this desire to have a life that doesn't, where we don't have a bunch of regrets, we feel like we've done things that are meaningful, and I think that that feeling comes from God. Because God doesn't want us to have lives that we go, oh, that was kind of a waste. He wants us to use our lives well. And so we kind of have this sense of, yeah, I want to do something really important. The problem is, most of us, I think, have let our world and our culture tell us what that looks like, rather than the words of Jesus. So we, we create kind of, you know, for a while, you know, the American dream was, you get a house, you get a white picket fence, you have 2.5 kids and a dog. That's, that's what you do. And then some people found out, yeah, that doesn't work so well. That's really hard to buy a house. It's really hard to do that. Or we kind of create our goals. We have like places we want to travel. We think, man, I want to make X number of dollars. Or, man, if I could write a book. Or if I could be really influential on the internet. Or if I could have a big family and a big house. We kind of create this list of things. We say, if I could do A, B, and C, man, I would have a, I would have a wonderful life. Wouldn't that be great? And sure, some things are great. Those things aren't evil. But for a lot of us, we've created this picture of what it means to have a really meaningful life and it has nothing to do with what Jesus has asked us to do. It's just what everybody around us is doing. We say, well, that's what we should do. But Paul says, no, we, we aim to please God. So here's the deal. If you just read verses 1 through 9, you'd probably feel like it's a pretty encouraging passage. Pretty good, you know? Maybe, maybe there's a verse or two in there. You'd you feel like that's really encouraging. I could kind of remember that, hold on to that. But why did, why did Paul have to throw on verse 10? Because you get to verse 10, and then it kind of feels like, oh, okay, Paul, we're, that's, that's a little serious there, man. Like, what are we doing? Because he just has to throw in at the end, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done well in the body, whether good or bad. Like, Paul, why'd you have to go there? Well, this is a nice, happy, encouraging passage about heaven. And then right there at the end you threw in, but remember, you're all going to stand before Jesus someday and you're going to have to hear if you did a good job or not. Like, ugh, performance review. Not, not exciting. But here's the deal. Here's why I think Paul puts that at the end to continue to help encourage us. 
Because in this passage, he also, in that metaphor, he talks about, we don't want to be found naked. And he's not just saying that because that's really embarrassing, right? Like, he doesn't just throw that in there. I don't know why it is we all have that night, that, like, reoccurring nightmare where you go to school or you go to work and you realize, I'm naked. Like, what, what happened? Or you're just in your underwear. It's one of those weird nightmares we all have. But Paul says, we don't want to be found naked. I think the reason he does that is because after Adam and Eve had committed the first sin ever, what did they say? They realized, huh, we're naked. And they started to look around, and God said, well, who told you that? Busted. And I think there's something about what Paul is getting at is, when you stand before Jesus, and you see your creator face to face, you're not going to have anything left to hide behind. You're not going to have any excuse. You're not going to have any reason that's good enough to say why you did things or didn't do things a certain way. And on earth, we're pretty good at convincing ourselves we're on the right track. Like, we're really good about spinning things and saying things the right way to feel like, yeah, we're, we're, I'm doing a good job. But then you face Jesus, and it's like, he's like, yeah, that, that ain't going to cut it. That's a really bad excuse. Like, well, but Jesus, I did this, and I did this. Like, yeah, but that's not, come on. And everything you're going to realize, he's going to tell you, yeah, that's a lie. That's a really lame excuse. That's not going to stick. And it's just going to be that feeling of, I have no one else to blame. I have nothing to cover myself with. And I'm going to be held completely and utterly accountable to Jesus. Now, here's the truth. We're all saved because of what Jesus did on the cross and because he rose from the grave. We're not saved because we do a bunch of things. But the way you live out your faith is the way you live your life. You live out your faith in works. We're not saved by the things we do, but we show if we actually believe what Jesus said and we really believe in him by how we live our life. And so the Bible does remind us, and Paul lets us know, yeah, there's going to be a day where you're going to stand before Jesus. And here's the deal. There will probably be, on that day, some moments where we all have some embarrassment and some shock when Jesus kind of points us to some moments in our life and he says, you missed an opportunity here. Or you really listened to Satan on this one. Or what were you, what were you thinking? And you're going to be like, I, I don't know. Like, and there's probably going to be some tears. There's probably going to be some, you know, some embarrassment, some shame for, I can't believe I did that or I didn't do that. And the reason that I think Paul puts this in, and, and it might in you, that might create a little bit of fear of like, I mean, I thought, I thought like, you know, Jesus calls us friends and he loves us, right? Why are we going to have a judgment and why is it going to be kind of scary? And I think the reason we have this sense of fear sometimes is because the Holy Spirit wants to just convict us. He wants us to know, hey, you're not on the right track. Like, you've bought into a lie. This is not who you are. This is not what you were made for. And our response in that fear and that conviction is just, it's actually pretty simple. It's, it's repent, apologize to God for that, and then say, well, God, how can I do better? Can you help me? Can you teach me? What do I need to do? How can I do better next time? Because the Holy Spirit is just trying to help convict us so we will change. Because we're not supposed to live like fueled and motivated by fear. And so, because we also know that the Bible has this picture where we come face to face with Jesus and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. And we all want that. We all want the boss to look at us and say, that was a really good job. You want mom and dad to say, hey, we're so proud of you. We're so proud of the person you've become. Like, we all want that. 
And we're going to get that from Jesus someday. Like, there are things about our lives that Jesus will look at you and say, you did a really great job there. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of the sacrifices you made. I'm so proud of the conversations you had. Like, we're going to get to hear that too. And so Paul says, no matter what happens, we aim to please God. So, that means we have to live a life that's not built around pleasing others or pleasing ourselves, but about pleasing God, so that he'll be proud. So, you might think, okay, so what do you do? How do, how do you please God? How does that work? Well, an easy place for you to look is uh, the painting we put out here in the lobby just a few weeks ago with just our vision as a church is to be rooted in God's love. Because if you know who you are, you'll know what to do. And if you're rooted in God's love, then you'll know what to do. And so those six expressions we've put on the wall around it are reminders of six ways that we can live, live our lives in such a way to please God. And so if you ever look at those and like, I'm not exactly sure how to live that one out. I'm not quite sure how that works. Then come talk with myself or Rodney or Caleb, talk to a pastor on staff, because like, that's part of our job. Part of the reason we're here is to help equip you to do the work of ministry. That's why we're here. So if you're like, I'm not sure what that looks like for me, we'd love to help you figure that out. Because those are ways we get to, to please God. So, how can you just practically do this? Well, I'm just going to give you a simple question that you can ask every single day. And you can even pray this every single day. When you get up in the morning, ask yourself this question. God, how can I please you today? And that could even be like a prayer. You just get up in the morning and you pray, God, help me find a way to please you today. Show me what to do. Give me an opportunity. And, and think through your day. What, what could you do today? Think. There's so many ways that you can answer that question in your life. And if you need ideas, well, just pick a gospel. Pick any of the gospels and just kind of start to read through them a little bit and see, well, what did Jesus do? And what did he ask us to do? And then say, well, okay, I could do that. You know, read some of the other letters in here and say, well, what did, what did they tell us to do? Well, okay, I could try that. Maybe pleasing God one day is you say, you know what, I haven't really done much to serve my spouse recently. I'm going to do something just to really show them that I appreciate them or I love them. Maybe it's, you know, you take one of your kids and you kind of have a one-on-one time with them and you take them to, you know, to kind of like, you take, you know, like a date or you take them out for a movie or dinner and you just talk to them and invest in them. Maybe it looks like you just say, you know, I'm just going to go over to my neighbor's house and say, hey, can I help you with that? I noticed you've been, you know, working on your fence. Can I help? could be any number of things. It doesn't have to be these crazy, huge plans. It could just be simple, everyday kind of actions. You just think, God, how can I please you today? And maybe you might need a little bit of another question to just help you. And that might be the question, what do I aim for each day? Like, what do you get up and try to accomplish every day? Is it about, well, because if you're honest, maybe you'd find, well, I, I aim to be the class clown every day. I want people to laugh at my jokes. Or it's, well, when the day's over, I want, a lot, I want pe- everybody to like me. Or when the day's over, I want to make sure I keep the peace and nobody gets upset, nobody gets mad, I don't rock the boat. Or, you know, if I could just end the day and be really happy, like, that would be good. Like, what do you aim for? Because you might need the Holy Spirit to kind of change your target a little bit and say, hey, you're aiming for the wrong thing. Instead, aim over here. Because if all of us can ask that question, okay, God, How can I please you today? How can I aim to please you? What's something that I can do? What's something that you're calling me to? If we all do that individually, that's going to help us just to know that, hey, 
we're going to hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. And if we all do that, then we'll be a church that's, that's pleasing to God. We'll be a church, and a church that's pleasing to God is a church that's alive with the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And it means that we're all joining into this process that Paul's been talking about, which is we're transforming death into life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, first of all, for the gift of your Son, Jesus. I thank you that he came to earth, he showed us how to live and how to have a relationship with you, and that he died on the cross and he rose from the grave and ascended into heaven, and you've given him all power and authority. And I thank you that you're with us every step of the way through the presence of the Holy Spirit, and you're always helping us and guiding us. And so, Father, I just ask that um, you would come alongside us when we need convicted uh, for those moments when we need a course correction. I ask that you would help to convict us, but also help us to be repentant when we need to change. And I also pray you would help us to know when we are doing things where you say, well done. So Father, please continue to help encouraging us when we need encouragement, challenging us when we need to be challenged and helping us to know what the goal of life really is. In your name that I pray, amen. So if you are with us, whether online or in person, and you don't know about Jesus, or you'd like to know what it would look like to follow Jesus, if you're watching online, all the information is going to be on your screen for how to get a hold of us, and we'd love to connect with you sometime this week and talk with you about what that looks like. And if you're in the room, I'm going to go to our next steps room on my right, your left, and so you have questions about Jesus or how to connect more with this church body, I'd love to help walk with you through that. Or if you just need prayer, you can come back during these next couple of psalms, and I'd love to talk with you and pray with you. So would you stand as we continue to worship?